You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Second down, play fake to Thompson. And across the middle, and it's intercepted by Jabril Peppers. He will go to the end zone. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me again, two days in a row, is the Cranky Fan. Uh, I know the lovely SF Mad has to do with me on a nightly basis, but you, the good Giant fans out there, and you, Grump, having me two nights in a row, I feel for you. How you doing, my man? It's great to be home. I'm suffering listening to you uh, yammer on again, but (laughs) honestly, it's hard for any Giant fan to have any negative feelings right now. I mean... You know, we can quibble over little things, but the Giants are definitely active in free agency and they're making moves. And um, that's always exciting, you know, getting new new players added to the roster and, and feeling like you're a competitor, which I think most Giant fans are. Um, you know, we went over some of the offensive guys yesterday. Uh, briefly, we'll kind of cover some more intricacies of the offensive guys, but we'll go over the defense today and all the things that were added there, there were some big pieces added. Yeah, Grump, you know, it's uh, it's been really exciting. And, you know, it's interesting on two levels, hearing the fan base being excited for the first time in probably a decade of, you know, what happens in the offseason. And also, which is kind of rare, is hearing, you know, with some, some exceptions, the media feeling like the Giants have done some really nice things and are doing things the right way. So, you know, I guess, you know, as... I was sitting on a plane for it seemed like 40 hours yesterday coming home, you know, thinking about the situation, you know, I quickly go from this is really exciting to wondering where we are right now. So I, you know, I guess I, I'll pose a couple of questions to you, Grump, you know, as we try to stay as grounded as we can, you know, as we do this show. Um, the first question, I guess, is, you know, from what we've done and again, big caveat here, we still haven't had free agency yet. We still haven't signed any I'm sorry we don't have the draft yet we haven't signed any undrafted free agents yet so the roster is not complete during this free agent frenzy is this team a team that you know is not like 2020 gonna be the winners of a bad division but can they actually win this division by being a good team I mean is this a team that could not only win a division but possibly you know do any damage in the playoffs or are we getting a little ahead of our skis with you know, free agent signing euphoria. Where do, you, where do you feel we are at this exact moment? I think what a lot of fans of NFL teams don't take into account is uh, the difference between the best team, the best roster in the NFL, and the worst roster in the NFL is not a whole bunch of guys. Uh, the biggest difference is usually coaching. Um, they, they're adding the talent now. And uh, that that's going to make them more competitive. Obviously, you know there is a talent difference in the NFL. I'm not saying there isn't one, but usually the thing that gets teams to the playoffs is good coaching. And the teams that are successful in the playoffs are good coaches. Um, th- there are very very few exceptions to this. I think, you know, uh, Doug Peterson is probably one of them. But 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 in all seriousness, you know, it's it's no. It's no surprise that the the same couple teams are in there every year. I mean, the Patriots were never a team that were overloaded with talent. I mean, they they had some good talent. They had great coaching. 
um, all over the place. Bruce Arians is a great coach. Andy Reid is a good coach. These people don't last in the NFL for this long as head coaches or offensive coordinators if they are not good coaches. Um, So I think adding this talent obviously makes this team better, but the biggest difference between this team and Ben McAdoo's 2016 team and Pat Shermer's teams, you know, I think that Joe Judge is a good head coach in terms of, you know, his in-game stuff seems to be, you know, nothing nothing came up as like a red, red flag with any sort of, you know, head coaching decisions there. He's surrounded himself with experience all over the place. He's had to make some in-season moves at offensive line. You know, it looks like this is a team that has a lot of good coaching and is now ramping up the talent. I think they absolutely can do some damage in the playoffs. It's not ahead of the skis to say something like that um, at this time, but to crown yourselves anything at this time would be ahead of your skis. It's yeah, just I, I, it's just as possible that they flame out. Yeah, but I think that uh, you know I, I I don't think that we are gearing up for a we're trying to win now mentality. You know, it seems like these moves, and we said this on yesterday's show. A lot of these guys are you know going into their prime. These aren't guys with a, you know, may have had four or five Pro Bowls and now they're on the, the, the twilight of their career. I mean, maybe you might say that maybe about um, a, a tight end we got. But, I mean, for the most part, you know, these guys are still on the ascendancy of, of their careers. Um, so I guess my second question for you, Grump, is, you know, we may not know all the information yet, but, you know, it seems like every day we keep signing guys and we kind of went into free agency fearing we wouldn't have enough money to do anything. And, you know, we are making the uh, the candle oil last eight days now. And my question is, are we doing too much right now in free agency that we are going to kill ourselves in the future by hamstringing us with, you know, backloaded contracts and things just to make it all work this year? Or do you think, from what you know, we are still on that right path, which we, we discussed yesterday, of doing this the right way and building for a sustainable long-term success? Well, I think that these questions are a handshake kind of question. I think they go hand in hand. Um, Like you said, a lot of these guys are on the upswing. Most of these contracts that were doled out are low deals. They're all one-year deals worth just a little bit of money. I mean, in a normal cap year, we wouldn't even blink an eye at a a $3 million contract to Austin Johnson, you know, or or a cap hit of $2.5 million to Devontae Booker. We wouldn't really even consider that it's because of the low cap and and you know trying to i think it was the timing too it was also the timing but those moves those moves happen after leonard williams and they happen after you know all the the big high ticket ones nobody's batting an eyelash i think it's just we didn't get the you know the 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 names we talked about all season and all off season that's where people started freaking out yeah um but what they've done is, you know, a lot of these guys are they're, they're short contracts, so they're really only counting against this year anyway. So, you know, my 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 standpoint is there's really very little in a situation like this where you have a low cap and you're expecting a big jump next year and an even bigger one the year after that. You you're not really helping yourself rolling over any cap from this year into next year. There's no reason to save the space this year. So fill it up. That's that's number one. And number two is these contracts that are for the longer deals on the guys that are entering the primes of their career or 
are currently in them in the case of Kenny Galladay and maybe Leonard Williams but you know they're all backloaded to hit those higher cap years so while you can say that it's bad cap management I think you're actually working in the future expectations of the cap so that it's really not a big deal I mean you think about what the cap hit will be in 2022 versus what the cap will be these guys might be underpaid by that time so I don't think that this is actual mismanagement at all. Normally, in a normal, if the, if the, we didn't have the TV deal and we weren't on, um, you know, a, a low cap year like this, these would probably be bad contracts. You know, th- this would probably be banking a lot on Daniel Jones's rookie deal. Um, but because of the unique situation, I think this is the right time to strike. You know, we a- anticipate these giant cap leaps in the future. Why not? You know, it, it seems like right, and and all these deals, they're they're a minimal cap hit this year, very minimal for for some people. So I think this is actually the correct way to do this. I don't think, I don't think they're gearing up for a twenty twenty one Super Bowl team this year, but they, I think they have something. They recognize that they have something, and they're going with it when the time is right. So I, I don't think I don't have any problem with this right now. So basically, what you're saying is we are. From you know an outsider's view, in and we're still a work in process. We are threading that needle, you know, between doing it the right way and going for it, kind of. So we are we're making moves that we need to do. We're not being just like, oh, we just have to conserve and conserve, but we're also looking, we're getting pieces that are, are helping things along. So things are good. Don't freak out because we're spending too much, and don't think that we are, you know trying to jumpstart the process faster than what we really need to be to be long-term successful. Yeah, I don't think that at all. And, and I do think that, uh, I, I I don't know. I, it's, it's such a weird cap year that I think people are overblowing the spending spree. I think in a normal, this would, this would be a good get in a normal cap, but this wouldn't be celebrated with shotguns and a 21 gun salute. And, you know, this is just a good, Hall right now. Uh, there is no reason to think that they won't continue to supplement with young talent from the draft. This is a very young team, and they're adding some young players, you know, in the prime. But they're not they're not banking on the free agency to push them over the hump or to build around free agency. I, I think it's a combination of two things. I think it's a combination of uh, this year with the cap, and also. We're going a decade now of this team being irrelevant, and I think just any signs of hope makes people more excited. And I think that the combination of the two things where, you know, again, we, we mentioned Eli Manning and the specter of him always hung over this team for decision making that was done in the final couple of years. Um, so you can look at everything. I think we might even said that. I'm not even sure if we'd started the podcast yet or just in our pre-podcast texting days of, you know, we're really loading up for one final shot here. You know what's going to happen in the future, but that's not the case anymore. There's no artificial timeline to this. Has to be done by. I mean, I don't think Gettleman's act is is doing anything to try for, to save his job. You know, the, this coaching staff. It's their second year. There's the, they're in the furthest thing from a, you know, a hot seat. You know, relative you'll get in the New York market. So, I, I think this is being done right, and I, I I'm cautiously optimistic. And we'll we'll see what happens with the draft. We'll see what happens. In training camp, and you know, and also the rest of the division isn't exactly becoming a dream team either. 
mean, if you if you're getting excited by Ryan Fitzpatrick being the quarterback of Washington, or Joe Flacco for Philadelphia, exactly. Or you know, I mean, um, having Dak does help Dallas. That there's no doubt about that. But they have to completely rebuild an atrocious defense. So it's they not also like they don't they're... know how much of Dak they're really getting. I mean, this is not a normal injury that he sustained. Very fair point. Um. Yeah, I I, I, I think that we're uh, we're okay right now. I think that the moves that were done are still in line with what was always being done. You know, since Gettleman got here, I don't think that he's really wavered too much from what his plan was or what you know how he his philosophy on building a team. I, I think. Grading 2018, there's some mistakes in there, but also you're talking about a year where he stripped everything anyway, so that's not going to be perfectly in line with what his philosophy is anyway, because you're dumping a lot of contracts, filling gaps with stopgap solutions, etc. So, you know, I think if you start looking at 2019, 2020, and 2021, you're looking at a trend of several things, you know, all in the same direction. And I think that this continues in that direction. Um, so we're going to flip to We'll we'll go over some more of the offensive stuff, but the defensive side of the ball, there were a lot of moves made. Uh, most of them were pretty pretty minimal until, except for two big ones. Uh, so one of the things was we discussed uh, whether we were going to be able to retain both Dalvin Tomlinson and Leonard Williams, and I think that it was certainly possible for us to do that. But the Giants would rather have spent money from one of those two guys, in this case Dalvin Tomlinson, spread out amongst several positions to build depth rather than, you know, reinforce a strength. So what they decided to do instead was let Dalvin Tomlinson test the free agent market where he got a big deal up in Minnesota and re-sign Leonard Williams. Uh, they, They first franchise tagged him and then worked out a real extension of three years worth $63 million dollars. But only eleven million counts against the cap this year. The remaining twenty-six and twenty-five million dollars is spread out over twenty-two and twenty-three. Uh, Leonard Williams, we both agreed, was the bigger you know need. We would have liked to have had both. Would have been okay with Dalvin Thompson, but Leonard Williams is really that versatile presence on the defensive line, who racks up QB hurries as well as playing the run very well. Um, I think this is a perfect structure. This is right in line with where you want to probably depart with Leonard Williams. And uh, his this contract ends, I think, when he's thirty or thirty-one. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, in the coming years, you start to draft something behind him, etc. Let me ask you something. Now that he's signed, can we stop the, the you know the heated controversy, you know, quote unquote controversy of the trade? I mean, is it now something where, you know, we've gotten, you know, we, we had a, 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 a Pro Bowl caliber year last year. We didn't, you know, get rid of draft picks for the fear that he would go with a free agency. Can we, can, we, can we put that to bed that that was, you know, would still be determined for the next couple of years how well he plays, but is not the bust of a trade that the Anna Gettleman people think it is? Is that over? No, it's never over. That's never over, so. and the unfortunate, the, the unfortunate thing, not because I care, but just because it's a never-ending topic, is that uh, the obvious free agency wins started when Joe Judge got here. So we we will forever have the 
you know, were these moves Joe Judge or were they Dave Gettleman argument that well, I organization? Let's just let's just make it easier. And the organizational decision to, to what they gave up in the trade. Can we can we at least stop and say it was a huge risk? That, you know, the risk paid off at least by getting him signed, and in addition, having a Pro Bowl year. I mean, I think we can agree that we're happy that he's here for a while. Uh, I think that's all that we'll ever be able to agree on with, with you know, as a unified fan base, that we're happy yeah. he's here. That's it. That's I think that's all we'll be able to – they're going to say the contract is too big and that the contract was too big because they bungled everything from the trade to the franchise tag to the other franchise tag in a down year and blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, I think his contract is in line with his production anyway, so I, I could care less. Um, other people would rather, you know, argue about well, it. Yeah, I mean, to me, in my opinion, again, I've been pretty, you know, I'm as close to pro Gettleman without being actually pro Gettleman. But I think you can remove from his tombstone now. Here lies Dave Gettleman, who gave up three two draft picks to trade for Leonard Williams. This is no longer the defining move of his tenure here at the Giants. I mean, I think that the, the defining move is going to be, I think, still ultimately Saquon Barkley. That's much more of a legitimate thing that you can have differing opinions on, and you're not wrong in either case. I think I think you can even throw Daniel Jones as a more significant attachment. And that would be my second one. I, I think that I, I, but I always, I always had that ranked one, one A, and then this one clearly three. And I, I think now we can kind of say that, uh, even if Leonard Williams, you know, is decent next year and then flames out the year after, and then they, you know, he's a cap hit or something. I think for what they gave up, they got, you know, at least equal, if not on, on the counterbalance of the trade. I mean, I, I don't want to spend forever talking about this because I am over it. But the most important thing to remember here is that we're arguing a hypothetical, but. By trading for Leonard Williams, you gave yourself the ability to tag him to not have to get into a bidding war with other teams over his services. Um, and, you know, they we don't know what the contract situation would have been like if we were having to outbid other teams. Um, so, whatever. And we, I mean, and we also got, you know, a Pro Bowl year and a, a decent half year in addition. I mean, I think people just don't want to... You know, believe that part or just factor it into the equation that we got good production of him even up until this point. For Absolutely, not, yeah. Yeah, for not giving up like the number three overall pick. This wasn't a trade, a Herschel Walker trade, guys. This wasn't a trade for Eli Manning. I mean, where, what did we trade, a second and a fourth? Uh, <laughs> third and a fifth. Okay, third and a fifth. So what, 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 are we, what were people quipping about from the beginning anyway? I get it that we're a rebuilding team that needs as many assets as we can, but this didn't break the bank and wouldn't have broke the bank. Even if they didn't sign him this year and he went away, it's still, you know, he made the defense better for his time that was here. Now we get, you know, an anchor. We have to worry about the bullshit of will he stay, won't he go, he'll feel better and get to work. It, it, it's silly, and it really just comes down to wanting to win now and being irrelevant. I mean, and I, and I understand that. I do. Um, because man, fucking, I spend a lot of money. You know, I we both spend a lot of money going to these games. We travel to go see these. I don't want to go see my team suck shit. You know, so so I get it. I get it. Um, 
But at a certain point, now, at this point, I hope you can just be happy about something. Yeah. Um, but to shore up that spot, it looks like the Giants are trying to recreate Dalvin Tomlinson in the aggregate. They've re-signed Austin Johnson for a one-year deal, $3 million. I had mentioned that I suspected that this would happen weeks ago. I didn't think that they were going to have it in them to re-sign both Dalvin Tomlinson and Leonard Williams, and that the situation I most likely saw was a re-signing of Austin Johnson and maybe combining him with B.J. Hill or something like that. Um, Austin Johnson got a one-year deal worth $3 million. This created a bit of a hubbub because this is a raise for him, but I think also this is a raise for him because they're expecting more snaps out of him. I think they're expecting him to be a bigger part of this defense with Dalvin Tomlinson gone. Uh, And I'm okay with that. $3 million is kind of a lot for a guy who played as much as he did last year. But looking back on this season when it's over, we may say that that was right in line with what they used him for. Um, I'm okay with that. Austin Johnson, I think, played well in the snaps that he was given last year. And I I think that um, he's going to take over that big guy role that Dalvin Tomlinson had. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Definitely. Um, he's, he's in the system already. He knows what's going on and uh, you just keep building from there. Yeah. And then they went out and they signed a Fady Odenegbo from Minnesota on a one-year deal worth two and a half million. He is a different guy. He's going to be more of your five technique. Maybe um, I would say, Based on what I've watched of him, he's going to move everywhere from the three technique all the way out to the six technique on the line. But he's going to be more of your pass rusher than your run defender. He's going to be your interior guy, maybe an edge in some circumstances, speed guy who's going to rip through there and use his motor for QB hurries. He's had a couple of good years with sacks in Minnesota. Last year was a bit of a down year for him, but uh, I think last year was a bit of a down year for Minnesota in general. Uh but I think if you slam together Odenegbo and Austin Johnson, you're getting sort of a version of Dalvin Tomlinson. Yeah, cheaper too. And also, you know, <laughs> you mentioned it. He's more of a pass rusher. And, you know, we may not get that signature uh, pass rusher in the, in the draft, but we can get a lot of guys who will increase the, the defense's overall ability to rush the passer. And that's what we really need. We don't need necessarily one guy out there getting 15 sacks. We need to have just consistent applied pressure to the quarterback on every down. And we have just a steady amount of guys who do a better job at it than we have in the past. It's going to make the secondary better, make everything better. So that's, that's a good trait what we're looking for. Yeah, the interesting thing is that this this solution of recreating Dalvin Thompson in the aggregate is a both of these guys are on a one year deal. So, you know, when I look at this line though, I do see Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, B.J. Hill, Austin Johnson, Ifadio Denegbo, and then Nico Lelos, R.J. McIntosh. You know, this is I'm I'm comfortable with this defensive line. I, I don't think it's as good as it was last year, but it's still plenty good in my opinion. Well, it begs the question, and this – you know I'm going to ask right now, and it, it goes off what we said yesterday. Is this – are the tea leaves telling you that we are now looking at a pass rusher with our first pick? There's going to be a lot of – I mean we're going to talk about the, the 11th overall pick uh, a million times between now and the end of April, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, 
I think it certainly indicates that as a possibility. I hinted already that Micah Parsons could be the guy when we did our linebackers episode, and I think that that maybe is a little bit underlined now, uh, as opposed to before, where it was just kind of sketched, you know, a name written down. Right. But, but I mean, again, I, I don't know. You know, it, there, there's still a lot of other spots we can go. Um, right now, I would say, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it underlines it, but it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, I, I don't think anything takes anything off the board right now. Well, we have to, you know, looking at everything in the aggregate, I guess, is, you know, now that we got our, quote, number one receiver, the the priority for getting it. Now, and I know the war room, and we've always discussed this, they go for the best available guy, you know, who's the highest up on their board. And they'll always say that when they're having that press conference right after. But the need for the number one receiver isn't as great as the need for, you know, on that side of the ball for right now. So. I think it increases the chance. Definitely. Oh, it definitely increases the chance, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, best player available, that's something that happens in the later rounds. You take the best talent available. In the beginning rounds, you're taking the best talent available at a position of need or future need. And when I say future need, I mean, in for instance, the defensive line right now. Like I said, you have Austin Johnson and Efedi Odenigbo. They are, their contracts are ending after this year. So if there was some all-world defensive lineman, it would not be crazy to use a high draft pick in the second round or third round or something like that, or even the first round, not this year, but you know, in a hypothetical year, to you know, just kind of get some reps here and there in his first year and then take over full-time and be your star on the defensive line when those two guys leave. That kind of philosophy is really what best player available means. It doesn't mean just, you know, Taking the best play. If it's not Trevor Lawrence, they're not taking a quarterback just because he's the best player available. Um, moving forward a little bit today, uh, Tuesday, the Giants signed uh, outside linebacker, edge rusher, I guess uh, Ryan Anderson, formerly of the Washington Football Team, to a one-year, one point one million dollar contract. Now, edge rusher is a bit of a air quotes there. He plays the outside linebacker position. He's not really too much. He's an outside linebacker to me. He's he's going to be your experienced guy. He is not by any means replacement for Kyler Fackerel, uh, who was a much more polished guy that was just clearly cast out of a system with superior talent in front of him. This is a guy who just... I mean, this is a guy that was cast. They switched from a 3-4 to a 4-3 when um, Ron Rivera showed up in Washington. But uh, he's going to be more of a experienced coverage guy who has an all-around ability. Um, and on a one-year, $1.1 million contract, that's nothing. Uh, I don't know. How do, you, how do you feel about it? Well, you know something? There's a common theme developing, and you've mentioned it You know, on a couple of guys today. We talked about it yesterday. Guys who can do multiple things, guys that can you know plug and play in different positions on the defense, and I think it's one thing to be multiple when you hear that all the time. What coaches saying we want them to be multiple. It's another thing when you want your players to be multiple, where you know you want to utilize every position on your roster that you can. Where somebody goes down, somebody can slide over, and 
you know, can be cross-trained for those things. So, you know, hearing this theme over and over of guys who can, you know, have this technique or that technique or can be strong side or can do this. These are all, I think, you know, until we have such a stacked roster, we can be a little more specialized who we want and the overall talent level is higher. It's good to have these kind of, uh, you know, Swiss Army knife guys who can do multiple things. Yeah, more so on defense and offense, but we we saw it last year that being versatile allows disguises to happen better because when you have a guy who is a pure pass rusher, say like Yannick Ngakwe, where he's not very good against the run, you're pretty sure you know what Yannick Ngakwe is going to do when he lines up. Just as an example, uh, you know, when you have a Snacks Harrison on the defensive line, you pretty sure you know what Snacks Harrison is going to do when he lines up. You know, having guys that are all around capable all over the place, it truly disguises intentions just by a personnel package. You know, so absolutely. Um, and I think that also this is adding veteran presence to a position group that doesn't really have any at all. I mean, Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Ziminis are the they're the they're the veterans of this group. Carter Ziminis, then you add Brian Anderson. Behind that, it's just Cam Brown, Carter Coughlin, Trent Harris. I mean, these are late-round picks from last year. Those uh, are nice. They're nice stories. They are not exactly the nucleus of with tons of experience and, you know, moxie. <laughs> they're guys still trying to figure out themselves in the league. Absolutely. And, and the Giants, quite frankly, trying to figure out uh, if they belong in the league. You know, they, they took these flyers on them. Uh, Last year, so there's not enough evidence, but you know they they both saw some time on the field, Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin, um, Lorenzo Carter, and Oshane Zimenez injuries, you know, took them right off the field. So not very, um, not, not, not a lot there in terms of experience and you know uh, concrete evidence of ability. So Ryan Anderson brings some solidification there, and on a one year deal worth pennies, you know. Adding to that, they also threw in Reggie Ragland, one-year deal, less than a million dollars, nine hundred eighty-seven thousand to be exact. Inside linebacker, also formerly an Alabama player, uh, mm-hmm. was with Detroit. You know, I remember being super high on Reggie Ragland coming on the draft. He's kind of disappointed a little bit. Um, he's not nearly as dominant as I expected. Or certainly not nearly as dominant as he was in college, but. If you're getting under a million dollars on a contract, that's kind of <laughs> that yeah. tells you how dominant he really is. Yeah, um, but he's not dominant. But you know what he is? He's solid. And where is he especially solid? Zone coverage. I, I really like um, one of the things that we had trouble with last year was pairing somebody up next to Blake Martinez that would prevent that third and six from being six yards. You know. Devontae down and this has been a problem for like an eternity for Giants fans right you know Wani Unga at middle linebacker you know Jonathan Goff you can go back for forever I mean really Michael Boley and Blake Martinez are and Antonio Pierce are the three linebackers that were worth half a shit in coverage you know over the last several years you know we like what we've seen from Tate Crowder last year especially for a seventh round pick he showed some ability but he's also very new to the position so taking a one-year deal for Reggie Ragland, he's he's pretty damn good in coverage. I gotta say, uh, that's the thing that's really been missing. You know, obviously he's not 
You'd think he would be, but he's not really this big run stuffer guy. He's not really a downhill linebacker. He's a little timid in, in run defense. Um, but he's he's pretty good in coverage, and that's really been the Achilles heel was the third and five, third and six completions, all always being converted right at the sticks and always next to an inside linebacker. So, you know, I super like this move. I think it's going to be an underrated one. You know, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe he doesn't even make the roster, you know, but... I think that this is one that brings experience to a position where, you know, maybe Tay Crowder is the guy you want to have that position, but he's got to earn it. He's the guy that Tay Crowder is going to learn from. Yeah, I think he's just a he's a nice glue piece. I, like you said, you know, he's steady, and I think a lot of these guys are just steady, steady pieces that don't cost much. And if they, you know, if this defense solidifies more, you might be able to get him back next year to. Maybe a little bit of a bump up, but it's not all of a sudden going to be bidding wars for Reggie Ragland going forward. Um, so, yeah, so I think that these are nice low. And again, these are rounding errors we're talking about with these contracts now. When you're going under a million dollars, you know, they're an upgrade in what we had before. And there's no downside for risk of, you know, sunk bad money, even for this year or for next year. So these are little, you know, under the margin moves that I think that really you, know, you don't think about it in, you know, you don't think much about it in, in March, but when it gets to November, it's like, oh, yeah, solid pickup. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just as a added benefit, you know, played at Alabama with Ryan Anderson at one point. <clears throat> but, you know, that transforms the inside linebacker position. You know, it was one that we had some concerns about, um, you know, in our in our state of the uh, roster episode, it was a, it was a spot that we were like we could definitely upgrade this, but it's not the biggest need. Now I feel pretty comfortable because it wasn't the biggest need, and we've kind of put a little bit of a band aid on it. Now it's still possible for us to throw in a Micah Parsons in there, who is kind of an edge rusher, kind of an inside guy, can do both thing, um, and and completely erase my worries about it. But right now, looking at it with Blake Martinez, Tay Crowder, Reggie Ragland, and then. TJ Brunson and Breland speaks. I'm okay with that group for the inside linebacker spot. I'm okay with that, you know. And if and if Blake Martinez has to miss any time, Crowder and Ragland together back there. Remember, that's another thing to think about. Is we're not talking about, you know, what the starting roster is and who's getting the starting snaps. It's who's coming off the bench because that is always the difference between the best teams in the league and the worst teams in the league. Is Whoever who's who's got the best fifty third man on the roster. What what happens if two starters go down for a week? What do you do? Is it a sieve or do you have guys who can just hold down the fort? And bad teams, you said you know the biggest thing is coaching. I I think that truly the three things that separate you know the the great teams from the scrubs are coaching, quarterback, depth, and. You know, one, we're starting to feel good about two, wait and see three, we are developing. So we're, it doesn't happen overnight, but I think where we are today is a heck of a lot better than we were this time last year and a heck, heck of a lot better than we were two years ago. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now for the big haul, um, drum roll, please drum roll, please. The Giants signed a Dory Jackson. Former USC first round pick, I believe something like 17th overall, uh, who went to the Tennessee Titans, was cut 
in a cap-saving move where they saved $10 million by cutting him, was signed by the Giants to a three-year deal worth $39 million. I had and lost the actual breakdown that was reported that is not official right now uh, on how that, that money is broken down, but it is a small cap hit this year and then, again, fans out over the next two years, the same as Leonard Williams and Kenny Galladay. Um, 25 years old. Um Capable of matching up and following a team's number one wide receiver. He was asked to follow Antonio Brown in his rookie year. Um, Adoree Jackson is probably a low-end number one corner in this league. He is now asking to play opposite James Bradbury as a number two corner. I, I am so relieved to have this happen. Um... In my opinion, it is so difficult to really truly judge how a corner is going to function in this league. I don't know what it is, but there's just every year it seems like there's a massive whiff on a first round corner, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the sure thing, and you know, this is it. He's the guy, and then they just, and it's like every year. Well, think about it. I mean, when you become a cornerback, the, the biggest trait you have to have, other than, you know, blazing speed, is confidence. Yeah, you know, you have to have, you just forget about the last play and have that the balls that you can you know match up with this guy. And the NFL is a very humbling place. You're going from being the big man on campus your entire life to being just one of 53 people. So it doesn't surprise me that you have a lot of flameouts. It's a very difficult position. Um, my first thing I'm thinking about is that of all of these free agent signings, how many of them are former number one picks? We have at least four, right? Of all of these free agent signings, how many are former number one picks? This is awesome question. Holy crap. Let me look at this. Was <laughs> Reggie Ragland? That. He might have been. I believe Ragland was. I Kyle th- Rudolph was. Uh, Leonard Williams, you know, was. Um, Leonard Williams is a or, former top ten pick. Yeah. Adore Reggie Ragland was round two. Adoree Jackson was. Adoree Jackson was. I think Kyle Rudolph was. I'm almost positive. Galladay was, right? Um, Hang on, hang on. Why do you not tell me? Rudolph was also a number two, but these are high number twos, Reggie Ragland and him. They're in the in the low 40s. Um, let me see. Kenny. I don't think Kenny Galladay was. Nah, we don't have that. I mean, it's, it's, Kenny, Kenny, Kenny Galladay was round three. I don't think anybody knows that off the top of their head. I'm not editing that. That's fine. Okay. But but okay. but all these guys these guys are you know first three rounds that's important you know and they might be you know what they are also potentially they may not be a little bit of the shine is off some of these also you know Galladay's the number one receiver but you know there's some people with some questions about him character things otherwise in that uh, you know we're getting I think a little bit of a slight discount on what their cost is relative to where they were drafted and what the expectation was. And that's not the worst thing in the world to have happened. You know, you need a little bit of a break on, you know, the, the market not being completely correct. So none of these guys are busts, but, you know, they may not be at the full potential market cost of what their expectation was for them for their career path. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of it is also – Franchises that thought they were on the upswing, you know, and they, they took these guys and now they're on the down. Like, 
Detroit is definitely one of those franchises that that was banking in on making a push. It seems like they're always like this, but uh, in the Matt Stafford years especially, it seemed like they were always every time there was a head coaching change, they were gearing for a push. And these former first round picks, they all they all go. You know, when when the coaching staff changes. And it's not necessarily because they're bad. It's because there's a new vision now. There's a new head coach. There's a new philosophy. And, you know, usually when you make a push, you have to make some cap-saving moves. That's not really the case with Reggie Ragland. But just in general, that's something that happens to high draft picks. Well, how many times have you seen it like when, uh, you know, a new owner comes to town and the first thing they do is they replace the GM. Or, they, you know, it's just people they know and – it, this is all about networking and who you who you work with and you're comfortable with. You know, it's so you know, and some people they lose their job, nothing to do with their performance. It's just situation. So kind of look at it that way as well. I I, I do want to talk a little bit more about Adore Jackson though. So um, there, this does a lot of things right here, and the thing I'm. I, I, I know that we talked about how happy we were with Patrick Graham and that, that it was really important that we get him an extension so that he doesn't become a head coach because he was bound to be one after what he turned the defensive roster into last year and blah, 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 blah. One of the things I was really worried about was a lot of what made the defense last year incredible was the specific coaching and disguises. And a whole off season for coaches like Pete Carroll in Seattle who just felt stunned by their loss, or you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe Dallas. You know, they're, they're, Mike McCarthy is looking at that that first game where Dak Prescott was healthy for three quarters of it, or whatever, and it's just like, what was going on with my offense that I couldn't score points against this defense? And they go through the film and they see the the trends and all the different disguises that Patrick Graham did, and they game plan for it next year. Adding a Dory Jackson or somebody of his caliber with the man coverage ability, the speed to run with number one. I mean, he's already matched up with Amari Cooper before. Um, that allows Patrick Graham to do what he did in Miami, and that's play man coverage and blitz, single high safety, throw people at defense. It allows him to do things outside of what he was forced to do last year, and it takes away that worry for me that there was going to be a big sophomore slump from Patrick Graham's defense based on just simply an entire offseason of people watching his film. They don't have to run those schemes last year. And I think that he really was cornered into being as creative as possible to be successful last year. He is now able to open up the full playbook, his full mind, to to the roster that was assembled for him. So this is a massive, massive get. It's so much bigger than just a talented player. I think it really opens up the defense. Let's think about where we were this team last year with the secondary when, you know, like the Sam Beals and, you know, and guys opting out and injuries and guys getting thrown off the, you know, being cut for, you know, off season issues. And now all of a sudden we, you know, you can kind of say that the two corner spots are locked down right now. And when was the last time as a giant fan, we could say that. I think you could say that in the 2000, uh, like, Eight through 2011 years with Aaron Ross and Corey Webster, people felt pretty good about them, especially when Terrell Thomas was healthy in that slot position. Uh, that's that, a that's a that, lifetime ago. <laughs> but it's also such a brief window. I mean, we're talking about mm-hmm. a three-year period. Uh, I think Terrell Thomas was out for a year, 
Something he, like that. He was drafted in 2008, I think. So, And then I think 2010 was the year that he missed the whole year from the torn ACL in the preseason game when he collided with JPP. Um, so, I mean, we're and, and I don't think he played at all in 2011, if I'm remembering right. I think he was still rehabbing that or something. But, I mean, we're talking about such a brief window. And also, it was a little shaky. Corey Webster had a, a fucking played out of his ass in 2011. Um, and he's a guy that kind of, you know took his lumps when he first started you know he, oh, he became yes. a good cornerback yeah i mean it was, was even like, that, that that first year he was like benched and then yeah you know, he found his stride in the late end of the season there old giant fans like me remember guys like elvis patterson whose nickname was toast because he to get burnt so much and you know there were some comparisons to him when he first came up you know he was a high draft pick and it was just like what's up with this guy but you know like we just said before about corners so you gotta give them time you gotta they gotta build their confidence up as well as you know, it's a tough league. So I am just, uh, you know, as we're talking right now about, you know, not having lockdown corners in so long, it's just like I don't have this feeling I have in so long. You know, Grumpa's, as I'm recording this, I'm, I have one eye on the TV and I'm watching the Knicks up by 30. And it's just like, as you're a New York fan right now, you're feeling things that, you know, you haven't felt in your body in years. <laughs> and it's actually it's, it's pretty fun. We just said the, the Just Puberty podcast over here. You know, well, well, I just read something <laughs> today about what is that bug that comes out every 17 years? Like it's starting to come out again. Oh, is that like the, the weird cicada? Like it's like some exactly. gigantic cicada or something? Yeah. I, that so I've I mean, never seen. I just – I hear this report every five years. Yeah. So as a, as a New York sports fan for teams that have been long-suffering, I mean – I'm not a net a Nick. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not a Met fan, but they made some major moves in the off season also. And uh, they got a whole new owner, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. So we're kind of like those funny little bugs that come out every 17 years. We can stretch our legs and you know feel good about ourselves for once. I do have to mention it's it's important that we talk about Adoree Jackson. Um, part of the reason it's speculated he was cut is because he missed so much time in 2019 and 2020. He had a foot injury in 2019 that uh, caused him to miss a couple games and he missed 11 games last year hurting his knee in training camp before or, or I, I guess it's technically out of training camp it was practice before week one he missed 11 games he was on IR you know this was another guy like Kenny Galladay where he was flown in for an actual visit and I have to think that there was some discussion with the medical staff you know how's your knee how's everything feeling uh, you know, he described in his presser that 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 was really the first adversity he had felt in his athletic life. You know, and having to deal with that that nagging injury. Um, I think he only missed four games in 2019, which you know these these outside guys that this happens. You know, they they miss time. It's pretty rare, I think, for a corner to get through a 16 game season and not have some kind of soft tissue injury that's nagging them that forces them to sit or you know, maybe just share snaps or whatever. So it's something to keep an eye on. You know, if if we start hearing that he's dinged up and is out of practice in training camp and, you know, we may look back on this contract a little differently. I think, uh, again, if we just talked about contracts and getting guys a little bit of a, a – under market value or a little bit of a, you know, not as much as we thought we'd pay for what these guys are. And this is the downside of that is you're, there is more risk involved. And I think for a team like the Giants, I think they're okay to take that risk. You know, if the upside for a guy like him is you're getting a second number one corner. 
The downside is you can have a guy who may not be 100%, but is that risk worth it? Is even being playing at 85% better than what we've had before? I think the Giants are in a position where they take some chances and do that. Um, so I, I think you just live with it. I mean, even the healthiest guy in the universe can shatter his leg tomorrow morning, and that's the end of it. I mean, yeah, I, I'm of the same mind sport, that you cannot be afraid of injuries. Where, yeah, you can't because otherwise, you know, you know the, the next injury, it could be the freakest way, and he's out for the season or career. So I think you just kind of deal with it and move on. Yeah, and, you know, it's important to – to mention that this is not this is set for a couple of years this position, but remember that James Bradbury is only on the team for this year and next year. So this is this is a, a this is a nice duo for the next two years, but remember that we're going to have to address this position again very soon. So this is this is why it's important that they got or not not important, but just it's such a flexible move to get such a good corner opposite James Bradbury in that you know, once James Bradbury is gone, or you know, you know, if he goes, maybe he gets a contract extension. It's very possible, uh, especially to spread out some cap hit this year. But you know, if James Bradbury is gone in 2023, you now have to just pair up one corner. You, you can get that number two air quotes corner to play opposite of Dory Jackson, who's your number one corner now. Uh, this kind of cycling uh, is what makes a good long sustaining roster well this is also why don't be surprised if if not this year or next year you see a very high draft pick spent on a quarterback that they can groom so when one of these two guys either a if he gets hurt b becomes a cap casualty or c they just don't resign him at the end of the time you have a seamless transition and there's not like a oh shit what are we going to do and we have to overspend to compensate for it we have a guy in the pipeline who can just seamlessly fill in. So um, this year, uh, again, goes back to the best available on their board. If there's a, a corner they absolutely love who slipped down to, you know, the second round or something, or, you know, certainly next year, don't be shocked. You see a corner taken very, very high. Yeah, not at all. But just to reiterate how much stronger this, this defensive backfield is, you know, we weren't, Again, not super worried about the corner position, but did acknowledge the limitations that you know Isaac Yadam and Ryan Lewis had in, in forcing this you know this defense to be in a bad position. We are now looking at a very strong defensive backfield, both in starters and in depth. I'm very happy with the group of James Bradbury and Adoree Jackson as starters, with Logan Ryan and Sam Beal and Isaac Yadam still on the roster. Ryan Lewis on the roster, all behind him. Darnay Holmes has played magnificently in his rookie year in the slot. And then the safeties, Jabril Peppers, Xavier McKinney. And then even Julian Love, who I think is a fringe starter, you know, as now your, your guy off the bench. I mean, the guys off the bench could be starting on a number of different teams. This is a solid, solid, deep group of defensive backs. Second, is this the best secondary in the division? I think without a doubt. I mean, I, I, I don't think... Philly has had a good defensive backfield in a while. Washington hasn't had one in forever. And Dallas hasn't had one in a while. They, none of these teams have a good defensive backfield. Not one of so them. Here, so my point being is that we mentioned on yesterday's show that uh, ESPN pulled up some uh, some odds from some uh, sports book in Vegas how we are still kind of a significant fourth choice 
you know, for odds to win a division. And I think when you start to really, you know, analyze and start peeling the layers off the onion, it's like this team might be the best team in the division this year, you know, going through like in key positions, you know, the team that has the quarterback with the most stability or the least amount of questions this year is the Giants. You know, potentially if Saquon Barkley comes back, he could be the most exciting, you know, playmaker in the division. You know, the, the depth we're developing, uh, you know, in, in the secondary and the defense it makes it, you know, one of the best ones. So I, my point is that it's no longer in the 2020 category of somebody has to win this division, might not be us two. We are legitimately becoming, you know, potentially the best team to really earn a division title this year. Um, it's worth mentioning that Washington did add um... – Oh my God, William Jackson, I think to to their to their but but I mean we're we're talking about you know there's no depth there, uh, but but Washington I think really this division is looking like Washington and New York right now which it hasn't looked like my God almost in my lifetime. <laughs> um, I, I I you know I'm suddenly more worried about those Washington games than I am about Philadelphia. Uh, but we'll see when the when the pads come on and the lights are on. Um, one other thing that is is worth talking about now. So we, we kind of went through the offense yesterday, but uh, it's coming out now that there is a hiccup with Kyle Rudolph's two-year contract. Uh, we mentioned that it's two years, $12 million, but there seems to be some uh, disagreement over the severity of some foot health for Kyle Rudolph there and there is a possibility for surgery uh, it looks like from all reports that both sides are still interested in this contract which has not yet been signed which I don't think is is it even possible to sign any contracts yet I don't think it's the official date I think is is it tomorrow I don't know it's don't something know. like that I don't think it's I think we're still in that uh, tampering period or whatever uh, but I, I if if surgery is needed and it's going to affect the start of the season or could possibly affect him, that's going to change some things in the contract from both sides. I mean, the Giants are not going to want to invest in somebody who may not start in the beginning of the year, maybe as much, and I don't think he's going to want to agree to certain incentives if he thinks he's going to miss time. So, the strange acquisition and what it means for this roster gets even stranger. Um... (laughs) You know, a lot of the backlash about Kyle Rudolph is, you know, people think he's not very good. He's on the decline. You know, certainly true, but also still better than most of what we have right now. So I'm hoping that this is something minor. Do you think right now he's better than Evan Ingram? I'm going to say yes, but with the caveat that I'm talking about the expectation of what I think Jason Garrett wants to use a tight end for. Of course. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you're, if you're Jason Garrett and you are, you know, it's day one of planning things, who does he, do you think he'd rather have be that number one guy, him or, or Ingram? Yeah. I, I think, I think he'd rather it be Kyle Rudolph. I think Kyle Rudolph is more of what they're trying to go for. That's what I believe as well. And I, I think they don't want to get rid of Evan Ingram. I think they want Evan Ingram to be you know, 
one less thing they have to worry about. But I, I think we are seeing the phase away from the idea of an explosive tight end that can stretch the field. And I just think that they're not trying to use their offense for that. And I think they're gearing up for weapons on the outside and they want their tight ends to be tight ends. I think that's what they want. I think until Evan Ingram finally becomes more consistent, I don't think they want him to be the focal point of anything. And I think they've had to do that in the last couple of years because of the lack of a true number one receiver. And then also with Barkley being gone is like the, the the receiving safety valve too. I think now that you have more options with Rudolph and with, you know, what we did with the receiver that maybe not having to rely on him so much and putting that much pressure will make him relax and be more consistent. I think this is, it's a multi-step process. I think unless they've made the decision, they just don't want him anymore. Uh, I don't think they're done with him yet by any stretch. I, I think Evan Ingram is not going to be anything until a change of scenery. I think he's going to be a good player somewhere else. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with you. That's going to be the final result, but I don't think the coaching staff is ready to say. No, I mean, they have an asset. Yeah. Why, why, why dump right. it? Um, right. right. You know, at worst, you might as well trade him. His, his whole contract would go with him. So hold on to him. But That's my point. Like, I don't think there are, you know, they're at the, we need to trade him point. Like we're done with him. We should try to trade him. I think they're still, I think they're, this is the last step before they just try to get rid of him is the, well, let's see how he fits if he's not the focal point of the offense. I, I think there is a like less than 5% chance, no matter what happens this year, there's a less than 5% chance that he's a giant next year. No matter what, I, if he's great, if he's average, if he's an improvement but under the radar, if he's bad, it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't think he comes back, period. I think – and ironically, I think the, the best reason why – I think the way the coaching staff is thinking was ironically – Getting more assets helps him around being here next year than not. If that makes sense. Like if we couldn't get Rudolph or you know, we didn't get our number one receiver and they realize that he has to be the number one guy, he becomes a more less declining asset by the second because he can't mentally be that guy. He's not consistent enough. But I think now there are other weapons. He can be kind of in a different role for responsibility and maybe that will just – make him better, and also improve his value around the league too. Yeah, and I, like I said, I, I think it's just going to be a change of scenery thing. I think the expectations of being a number one uh, pick uh, or whatever, uh, first round pick, and, and the issues that he's had in terms of misuse, in my opinion, uh, some drops issues, his inability to block, which we always knew about. You know, he goes to... Uh, Cincinnati or something where they're like, hey, it's a small deal. If this guy is even half of what was expected of him, then we've won. And, you know, the fans won't kill him. Did you see he turned the comments off on his Instagram? I didn't see that. Yeah, no. That, I mean, that's the kind of shit I'm talking about. How is this guy supposed to perform? And fucking assholes are, are telling me he's a waste of life because he can't catch a ball. And, you know, it's <laughs> awful, awful shit. And I think that, you know, that rebranding, that recalibrating of himself somewhere else will make him successful in the league. I don't think that he's cheeks or anything like that. Uh, I just think that it got to the point with the coaching changes and shit and the ownership changes. And he's such a niche player. He wasn't playing the right way. And then the pressure on top of it is just, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunate because he I, is a talented weapon. And don't think and don't think those things aren't big deals. I mean, they are big deals, like having multiple coaching changes. I mean. Daniel Jones has been through a lot in his three years, and 
it's not easy to learn different terminology and different cultures. And, you know, usually you hire one coach as a reaction off the old coach and people, you know, you, you know, veterans can adapt to that more, but young guys, it's not easy. And, you know, when you're used to being babied when you're in college and high school and stuff, and you know, you're being sheltered, you know, shuffled among all these different guys. It's hard. Not everybody adjusts the same way. Yeah. And like I said, it, this isn't, this isn't a guy who's just, I don't know. He's just such a niche player. He's the athletic guy. He's very Jerry Reese pick in all sense of the word. And then you switch to Dave Gettleman, who's such a foundational football, you know, or as people like to say, you know, a 1985 style GM football mind, whatever. He just doesn't fit. And I don't know. He'll, he'll be fine somewhere else and we'll have to face him. And then we can, we can eat crow then, I guess, but. I mean, you can certainly see him going to the Eagles, right, and burning us twice a year, or even Dallas. Stop it. Please don't. <laughs> save, save this tape, this little clip for, you know, three years from now. I wish I was recording my faces. As soon as you said that, I put my head in my hands and just started shaking them. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's pretty much it. How are what, what position group is worrying you right now after it seems like we're pretty much done with any starters contracts right now, any contracts that are signed from here until the draft are going to definitely be depth. I would assume. How do you feel? I think, um, for the most part, we exceeded expectations in the free agency part. I mean, we, my expectation was we would not keep, uh, Tomlinson. So, you know, my expectation is exceeded. Um, I still, I still have some concerns about the right side of the line, offensive line. Um, I still got some concerns about Daniel Jones. I mean, we're not going to make any moves, obviously, to increase it, but position group that I think of you know, needs to improve is its quarterback is one of them. Um, yeah, I, I think everything else, though, I think we've, we've done a pretty good, good job addressing. Now I think it comes along that first pick. Is a you know it's, should be a, a playmaking guy who makes an immediate difference, but everybody else I think is just really filling in spots and you know for, for depth purposes and you bring him along at the right pace. So I I think we're finally getting to that point where we're just have such a void of talent and a void of depth where it doesn't really matter who we're bringing in. Now I think you can be a little more plugging in specific gaps, and I think that's you know the the, the next step in, in the, the maturation of this team. Yeah, somebody else on Twitter said it best is that they, their free agency moves have now allowed them to do just about whatever they want in the draft. I would say just about. Um, I'm also concerned about the offensive line in, in aggregate, you know, all over the place. The right side in particular is one that we can point at where we're not really sure who's the right tackle. We definitely don't know who the right guard is, but, you know, I'm not really that stable about the left guard position either. Um, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm still worried about the offensive line. I think that no matter what in the first couple of rounds, whether it's the 11th pick or round two or round three, there's going to be at least one offensive line move. I'm actually guessing two offensive line moves there. Uh, I'll say two in the top four rounds uh, for sure. But, uh, you know, we could also use uh, an edge rusher. I, I think getting an edge rusher somewhere in there completes this defense. I think right now it's missing... That one piece that takes it from a top 10 defensive roster to a top 5 defensive roster. And that is an edge rusher that is actually game plan worthy. 
We're, we're banking a lot on Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez, A, being healthy, and B, being something. Yeah, I guess, you know, I didn't have it as a concern position, but definitely one that could you know, use an upgrade for sure. But, but this is leaps and bounds beyond what we – even a couple of weeks ago, we're like, oh, shit, the state of the roster. I mean, there's no running back. There's no backup quarterback. You know, there's a lot of holes for them to fill. How are they going to do it? And my god, did they – yeah, squeeze every drop of lemon juice from the lemon uh, for, for, for the cap. You know, they really, really, really shored up a lot of depth uh, to allow them to do whatever that is they want to do. Yeah, I mean, my biggest concern was, you know, how much money do we have to really get anything done? And what, what, what hits are going to have to happen to make, you know, just getting the bare minimum of guys and we just seem to keep every day, you know, another guy coming in. It's like, oh, fantastic. So we, I definitely we. I think this is the last year that we would have to require free agency to fill so many holes. I'm hoping that we're at a place that going forward the draft does a lot of these things, so we don't have to worry about so much the cost of depth, and we don't have to have these arguments anymore about well the backup running back cost how much to get where we don't have to be in that position anymore. So I I, I really think this is a a, a corner turning off season to take us out of rebuilding mode into, you know, tinkering mode. Unless of course we're, you know, six and 10 and everybody gets rung and we start all over again, but I really don't think that's going to happen with this team. No, I, I think, I think, you know, my first early preseason prediction is we will have meaningful football games for sure in the month of December. Which means that we will be outside and cold. Hey man. I'll take that right now. I mean, sitting in an apartment, we came and go to a bar to watch a game last December. I know they were meaningful, but it's not the same as getting on that train where it's freezing cold, you know, having a couple beverages before getting in that Jameson room, knowing, hey, man, if we could be Philly today, we're in. Ugh, I can't wait. I'm clearing my schedules for, you know, September through January because I'm going to be, it's going to be one of those years where we have to watch other games. We have to watch to know what's going on in the NFC. That's what I'm. That's yeah, what I'm banking yeah. on. I mean, you're right because it's been so bad the last few years that you know my TV. I just had Red Zone on because I was just flipping around watching other games. I just had the TV on and was doing other shit and just kind of glancing because yeah. who cares? Now, now I can go to okay. You know, we play at one o'clock and Philly's on at four. I now Philly's on the big TV and the Red Zone's on the small TV. That's right. that's. When the game that's most important to you as a fan of your team has to get reduced to the smaller TV, that's not a good sign for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that means it's just you're keeping an eye on it just to be aware, not active rooting interest with an impact for us. There's always going to be a rooting interest against, but quite frankly, I don't have the energy anymore in, in December to watch a three-hour you know, horrible Eagle team just so maybe they'll lose. <laughs> but now, you know, I'm going to be watching that potential Dallas game to see what's going on. And the nice thing about Dallas on, they're always, you know, three out of four times are a primetime game. So if they don't hog up your Sunday. You can watch something else too. Yeah. And, you know, quite frankly, we will probably be watching some weird NFC South game because it's going to affect the playoffs. How do you figure that? I mean, why wouldn't it? If, if the division is in hand, then you kind of want to know who is shaping up to be your uh, 
your opponent in the first. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I thought you were talking about like you know who in the NFC South were battling for a wild card spot. No, 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 no. Who in the NFC South we're gonna have to face in that first <laughs> round? Oh, a, a Valari Bowl rematch? Are we saying already? Oh no. I, I mean, I, I just picked NFC South out of a hat. I mean, right. It could be North. <laughs> I, I'd probably rather play a bunch of teams in the South than in the North. I don't really want to have to face the Packers again. Um, I want the path of least resistance. That's all I care about. You know, if uh, with the Bucks bringing back basically the whole gang to to, to go at it again, that's going to be a you know, they're going to be a problem. I think that division is a challenge. Well, I mean, it's the playoffs. Everybody's good. And so to yeah, me, it's true. just give me the easiest easiest of a bunch of good teams. Well, th- th- this is absurd talk to be having right now in March, but. <laughs> Winning the division means something that we have only gotten once, and that is a playoff game at MetLife fucking stadium. God damn, I, I'm so stoked for that. That is the most fun if you guys have not experienced it. Oh, I mean, you know, that that divisional game too, because it's usually it's the, it's the first week after New Year's, so the holidays are over, and it's kind of like – it's the first real thing of the new year. You know, bowl season is kind of the end of last year. This is like, it's that early January, you know, it's, it's the sun is out, but it's cold. There might be some leftover snow. You're ready. And it, that, you know, I, who was, I don't know who listens to this was at that game that the, the uh, NFC championship game in 2000, when we blew out Minnesota, I mean, that's, the atmosphere in that place was like we just won a Super Bowl. It might be in some ways a better atmosphere than a Super Bowl because, you know, it's 75,000 of season ticket holders and fans. Super Bowl has a lot of fans, but it's also a lot of suits, and it's also half potentially the other team. We can get to a situation, you know, probably won't happen this year, but maybe in a couple of years we're good enough that we start hosting that second weekend. And, God, you know, God forbid that, that championship game. Another world. It's great. We can only hope. I've only I've only seen that uh, that wild card round against Atlanta in 2011. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, that's enough fucking talk about literally ten months from now. Um, oh, you guys are probably sick of us anyway. Two nights in a row. Jeez. Shit. Um, we will see you all next week. We're going to have uh, an episode. Looking at a position group, uh, I don't even know what are we what are we doing? Uh, tight ends and and outside linebackers or something? Probably. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah, there you go. We'll do that. That sounds good. So we'll, well see I mean, you we, all we, on we, Tuesday. Then. We we kind of started that discussion about the tight ends, and we'll definitely really go into more in depth of everybody who is there, who we could potentially still get via the draft, what directions we can go, what implications are for going in different directions. We'll, it's it's going to be a good good. Conversation. Yeah, he's just excited because we're going to talk about Kyle Pitts. <laughs> I'm telling everybody, you know, not since I killiered in '97 is there a player who I would get a a jersey that day. And if it's Kyle Pitts, I am on NFL.com that day ordering my jersey. Well, you heard it here for first, but you'll hear it here next week, Tuesday morning. First thing in the morning, if you subscribe for free on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, wherever, um, Just Giants Podcast. And if you follow the Twitter account, also at Just Giants Pod, you can follow me in between now and then at football underscore grump, where I am constantly 
uh, chiming in on every single tiny free agent bit of news, whether it's contract details or a new signing or the hiccup with Kyle Rudolph's contract or whatever. Uh, so follow me there. Catch me as always at the Cranky Fan. You know we're talking obviously Giants. We are talking. We're talking Lightning as they just scored. We are talking the resurgent New York Knicks I'm trying to make a playoff run. Spring training's around the corner. Everything else, it just annoys me or makes me happy. So follow me at the Cranky Fan. All right, everyone. We will see you next week. Go Go Giants. Giants.